Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. And again, uh, be sure and use Blue Water Climate Control for any of your HVAC needs. Why? Because they're going to do it the right way the first time and take care of whatever issues, whatever problems you might have. Blue Water Climate Control will handle that for you. Be sure and check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or visit them, um, give them a call, I should say, at 865-299-2290. For more on Blue Water Climate Control, be sure and check them out online. And again, if you give them a buzz and you're calling for a repair or calling for them to come out and see uh, what you might need in case you need a new unit or anything else that you might have going on in a remodel or whatever it might be, be sure and tell them you're a VolQuest listener and they'll take care of you there as well. That's Blue Water Climate Control. All right, guys, let's jump right into um, what's going on in what I consider the slowest time of the year outside of baseball. Um, not really much going on. Of course, Tony Vitello's baseball team is playing extremely well. Uh, has it going in a, in a large way right now? And um, lots of people wonder what's going to happen with that situation with with Danny White and contract extensions and all those things. I don't think that's Tony Vitello's uh, priority and focus right now, but obviously the baseball team remains extremely hot and huge series this weekend as Tennessee is opening up campus and um, turning Lindsey Nelson Stadium into full capacity, which should make for a good crowd. But as for the football side of things, it's pretty quiet right now, Austin, other than Tennessee a little bit busy again in the transfer portal. You've thrown out the last couple of names on the uh, on the podcast to give everybody a heads up of what might be coming. What do you think of Tennessee's newest transfer young man from Kansas. Yeah, Dejon Terry, um, you know, Brent, I, I think, you know, someone that Rodney Garner knew extremely well coming out of high school, um, you know, and, and probably, you know, had had Gus not needed to take, you know, a thousand different offensive guys, probably, you know, ends up at Auburn, but instead ends up at Kansas. Um, and then want to get closer back closer to home. And, and I get somebody put on the board like, you know, it, it's all nonsense. He's really not getting that much closer to home. But like from a functionality getting to Knoxville, it's a lot easier of a uh, drive and a lot easier of a move for family members than it is getting to Lawrence, Kansas. So, you know, uh, and, and getting back to the SEC, getting back to, you know, a league that he knows. Um, you know, a kid that lost a, has lost a ton of weight, but, you know, has got really good feet if you watch him on film. I mean, you know, honestly, I think Tennessee's getting a pretty solid player and uh, be interested to see how much he helps them right away. Yeah, I think he's a fascinating story, Rob. And here's the guy who thought he was – I don't know why he really thought this, given his size, but he thought he was a basketball player uh, and was going to go play basketball or thought he was going to play basketball and really didn't, didn't play any football up until his senior year uh, of high school. And then he comes out for football, ends up with a scholarship, red shirts, but actually has a pretty solid uh, two years at Kansas. I know the people at Kansas that you talk to are really high on him. Pretty intriguing story uh, that, that Tennessee has kind of, I don't want to say fallen into here, but has fallen into a bit because of the history with Rodney Garner. Uh, it is going to be interesting to see. I'm always intrigued by, quote, the late bloomers who bloom somewhere else. You know what I mean? That This guy doesn't feel like, He's nearly the risk he would have been taking him out of high school when you look at how heavy he was coming out of high school and the fact that he had such little experience. Yeah, I mean, he lost 60 pounds, right? Yep. I'm yep. not exaggerating. I mean, that's – I mean, that says a lot about the about the young man's, you know, work ethic and commitment 
you know, dedication to, to trying to reach his potential. And, and you talked about him thinking he's a ba- basketball player. How mad <laughs> or disgusting do you think the football coach in that high school was for three years? <laughs> watching, watching this guy walk down the hall every day. <laughs> Probably not real happy. That, that, that's for sure. I do think this too, Austin. I think, and, and Robbie jump in here too, I think he's great for a guy like Elijah Simmons. Because Elijah Simmons is – a lot of people over there believe Elijah Simmons has a chance to be a really good player. I mean, really good player in this league. But to do that, he's got to drop 25 pounds, which is what we've heard about Elijah Simmons since he came out of high school. Here's a guy who has done it, and there's evidence of it. One would think that this guy could be a good motivator for Elijah Simmons, not to take his spot or take his position, but to show him the difference between, hey – Here's what happens if you put the work in and lose the weight. I think it's got to be a benefit for Tennessee, specifically for Elijah Simmons. Am I wrong? I agree. No, I think you're right. I mean, when you go back to high school, what was one of the big things that that Tennessee fell in love with with Elijah Simmons? It was his athleticism, Brent, they could dunk and his a ability to dunk a basketball, fifty pounds or yep. whatever. That's right. Um, you know, so I, I agree. I think that being able to, you know trim up a little bit and, and, and kind of flash that athleticism is something that, you know, Elijah Simmons and, and, and Rodney Garner are working on. And, you know, if this kid comes in and, and Rodney, you know, goes, I remember when this kid weighed 360 pounds, he now weighs 310. You know, I, I think that's, you know, that's something that speaks volumes, you know, to a kid like Elijah Simmons who, you know, again, they're trying to get some weight off of. So Tennessee's got two defensive linemen in the transfer from the transfer portal. Rob, I think that casts a pretty good picture of where Rodney Garner felt like his defensive line was um, and the uncertainty that he has with his defensive line coming out of spring practice heading into the summer. Yeah, and I think it also makes a strong comment about, you know, what he thought about um, Jay Hardy versus, you know, taking taking the, the kid yesterday. I mean, everybody just automatically assumed when they saw Hardy go in the portal that, you know, Tennessee would, would make him a priority. And it does not appear that that was the case. And, and you know, Rodney Garner should have a better handle on, on his potential or, or ability than, than anybody in America. And, but as far as talking about, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very clear statement about not only what he saw from his defensive line in spring practice about, but the uncertainty of who's going to be here, you know, in the fall with the Darrell Middleton situation. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that either one of these guys are going to be all SEC players, but I think it's very safe to say you just, in the last couple of weeks, you picked up some quality depth and experience at a, at a position when it was a glaring need. Well, and I think they can play kind of two different positions. You know, I mean, you know, with, with Terry, he's more of a, you know, a, a tackle. Whereas Tremblay can slide inside on pass rushing downs but on first and second down can play, you know, strong side defensive end and, you know, um, you know, help stop the run. So uh, I think they, they bring some versatility and, and, and it is going to be to uh, use Brent's word fascinating or interesting or any of the, of the words Brent likes to use to watch just like how this defensive line room takes shape, has defections, you know, just kind of the moving around this summer, because, it would be hard to think that you're not going to see some type of attrition in that room, especially coming out of spring practice. So is Tennessee done in the transfer portal, Austin? 
I mean, again, they've got a couple of spots left, but those spots would be blue shirt type deals where you have to count them ahead to 2022. So you'd be taken away from the 22 class. I don't think Tennessee really wants to do that. But in theory, there are a couple of spots where they could do that. And, you know, I, I think if they do it, it's for somebody that can play multiple years. I don't see them taking using one of those spots for a kid that they won for one. They've already done that twice. Javante Payton and Caleb Tremblay are both one for ones. Um, so I, I think that, you know, if Tennessee's making that decision, they're doing so on a kid that they feel like can really help them long term. So I do not think they'll just take a risk or take a body to take a body. I think this, if, if somebody enters the portal, that they feel like, okay, that's somebody that can help us the next two to three years, then yes, they might entertain it. But otherwise, I don't see it. And Rob, on the basketball front, you think Tennessee's done in the portal? And I think they're done. I wouldn't rule, you know, I would just wouldn't reject out of hand, you know, the notion that they might add somebody. But um, right now, I think no. Um, I think the next thing you're going to hear from Tennessee recruiting-wise is Hanjay Tamba from Catholic, probably making an announcement that he's reclassifying and, and going with Tennessee. I mean, that, that kid is so low-key. I mean, it legit might be a case where he just shows up and goes to class first day, first day of summer session in June. But um, every, that, that, that to me is probably the, the, the most surefire development that we're going to hear about next. What, what's your guys' takeaway from the transfer portal after seeing it for essentially a year now and, and seeing kind of how it's un, unfolded? What, what, what's your takeaway from the portal? What, what tweaks to the portal? I know we've talked a little bit about a calendar, but any other tweaks that, that you see – coming down the pike from, from a portal standpoint or, or what are your overall thoughts on kind of experiencing this the first time? I mean, I think on the basketball side, uh, I think you had some kids get a wet, get a rude, rude awakening when you know, they, couldn't <laughs> find a, they couldn't find a spot or, you know, weren't, weren't able to move laterally, you know, leaving a, a power five program and jump into another one. I mean, I think you, I think there were a lot of kids out there that got slapped in the face with that. Hey, maybe I didn't make the greatest decision. And, um, you know, from Tennessee's standpoint, I, I, I applaud, I mean, I think Rick Barnes has done a really good job of trying to adjust to do the way the game changing. I mean, you see, you know, a lot of coaches, his age, it's they just about the transfer portal. I mean, he's just accepted the reality of it and, uh, and tried to use it. And Tennessee didn't go bananas. I mean, they, it kind of feels like they did because they, they added so much, in the late period, but you know, three of those guys were high school players. I mean, they only took took one from the transfer portal, and that was a kid that is, you know, could be in your program for three years. It's it's not a rent a it's not a rent a rent a player. I mean, they they didn't use it that way. Uh, for me, I, go ahead, Austin. I, I just think you know, Dejon Terry is a perfect example of you know when when kids are quote late bloomers they're going to end up probably back at a, quote, bigger football school, you know, before their time is done. Yeah, I, I really believe that. I think that, you know, especially because to me, like, you talk about transfer portal, but now you have to really kind of couple it with the one-time transfer rule and combine the two. Sure. Because it changes. The, one, you know, the transfer portal was neat when it was before the one-time transfer. Now it's just, you know, it's free agency in a lot of ways. And so – you know, I, that's one of those, you know, things that I'm kind of watching for over the next two, three years is how many times do you see a kid that, you know, hey, he goes to Tulsa, has two really good years, 
And then the next thing you know, he's playing at Oklahoma, you know, or he's, you know, he goes to, you know, UTSA. And the next thing you know, he's playing at Texas A&M, you know, because those schools can almost cherry pick the best players at small schools now all of a sudden. You know, remember when the, you know, the kid, remember the kid at Bearden that went to UTC, mm-hmm. you know, Davis Toll. I mean, like, I guarantee you, you know, late in, late in his career, he would, I'm not saying ended up at Tennessee, but he would have ended up at a bigger school than Chattanooga late in his career. I, I just think that that's what this is setting up for. It's going to be hard for the little guys to hold on to their best guys the entire time. Hubbard, is there any way in your opinion that the SEC doesn't pass it? the one-time transfer rule. I mean, don't you think it would really put them at a disadvantage in recruiting? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I think they're going to have to pass it. You know, I, I can't imagine they're going to sit there and say, no, we're not going to allow this to happen within the conference. Um, I, I think where the commissioner's at on that is he wants this league to make some decisions, you know, and, and, and stop putting it all on him. I mean, you know, you guys, you know, he wants to run the league, but, but he wants the member institutions to, to set policy in the league, you know, and they're, they're on a divided front right now. And I, I think it'll, you know, push come to shove. They'll come, they'll work out something to, to where it passes and they, and they have the one-time transfer. I, I can't imagine they're going to make people within the conference set out because if you do, it's, it's a detriment in recruiting and it, and it certainly hurts you, you know, big, big time from, from a transfer standpoint. So it I, makes I those other conferences right. stronger. It yeah, makes yeah. All those you're going to lose talent. I mean, how much talent are you going to lose the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, when you have good players transferring out of your league? Well, and the one I, thing I think, you know – the one thing you make the best point, Austin, the one thing you know this league doesn't want to do, they don't want to do anything to close the gap. They want to widen their gap on the rest of college sports. They don't want to close the gap or have the gap closed on them in college sports, Austin. Yeah, I mean, and let's face it, most of these kids – I'm not saying all, but most of these kids are going to stay in, quote, southern schools. So, like – the Clemsons, the Florida States, the Miamis, you know, the, the Texas, Oklahoma, like any, any type of warmer weather type school, um, you know, they're, they're going to want to stay at North Carolina even. You know, that, that, that strengthens those schools to me if you can't, if you can't go uh, interconference. If, you, if you've got to leave the conference, all they're going to do is go, okay, I'll just go to Clemson or I'll just go to – you know, North Carolina or Florida State, you know, if, if I'm the ACC, I'm really hoping that the SEC yeah. digs in and says, no, 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 you can't go from Georgia to Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, I think that's why the SEC ultimately comes to a resolution to allow it. So let me let me ask this as we kind of close this part out about the, the, the one-time transfer deal. In a lot of ways, Austin, it does absolutely, you're right, it's going to hurt the smaller schools if they have a really good player. Is it more? Is the one-time transfer rule more detrimental to smaller schools or is it more beneficial to smaller schools because so many kids are in the portal and they can't find the Power 5 homes that you thought they would have, so they may end up playing somewhere at a smaller school? I guess what I'm saying is, is it a greater – is it, is it a greater deal or a bigger deal that you're going to lose some great players at that level, or is it going to be a bigger deal that you're going to get more depth and more quality players at that level if they, if they all can't find Power 5 homes? <sighs> you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I still lean to the fact that it's a more of a detriment because you lose your better players because a lot of these kids are going to hold on and hold on and hold on wanting something 
bigger and better than what, you know, maybe is out there for them just because that's what is in their mind. So, um, you know, and a lot of times, I mean, kids could transfer down and play right away anyway, you know. Um, so I, I go with, you know, taking away from the, you know, those small schools, taking away with their better players is a, more of a detriment than it is being able to build depth with guys just because there's more bodies than schools. Yeah, I agree with AP. Like, I mean, I think I definitely think that in basketball because one one really good player at that level could make a big difference. I mean, you know, I mean, you can do, you can take a team apart if a great player at that level were to leave. Like, like if a Curry were, were to have left the, Davidson, right? The kid, I mean, the kid at Oral Roberts, the guard, right? Yeah, year. the guard at Oral Roberts this year. I mean, it, it would be a detriment there. I, I tend to agree with you. I do think it's going to be interesting to see what some of these power five kids do when they, when they don't land at the places that they're at, you know, are they thought they were going to be how that affects them and does do future transfers take notice of that? Or does it stay at the pace it's been at right now? It's been at this year in terms of everybody jumping into the portal. I, I think that's going to be uh, a storyline certainly to watch uh, moving forward. Uh, when, when you talk about, what the landscape of this thing looks like in terms of roster management. We know how coaches use like the draft, you know, like, well, see, I had Larry two years ago and he thought he was a third rounder and he didn't get drafted. Don't be like Larry. Like, I think that you're going to see them use that with the portal too. Like you're going to go in the portal fine, but just realize that when, you know, these few guys went to the portal, they found nothing and they wish they had not left. And now they're playing at this school that's smaller and a lot less exposure than here. So you're going to see coaches, to me, use that as kind of a, a bargaining chip to get them to stay, I think, you know, in certain ways. So, But I still think it goes in waves. I think it'll some years it'll be boom, some years it'll be less. Do, do you see them putting in a two uh, – kind of a two-part window for transferring? Because some kids will want to transfer at the end of the of the fall semester so they can be somewhere in the spring, and then other kids are going to transfer in the month of May, as we're seeing right now. Do you see them kind of coming up with a a, a, a split window for, for transferring opportunities, well, much like you have two basketball signing periods? I mean, I think there's one in place for the end of fall semester because kids are going to go somewhere by the time classes start. But it's already there. I think it's already there, and I think you're going to see May 1st in the spring, from what I hear. I think that, that's where we'll be going forward. That kids have to declare by May first. I think they, they have to have yeah declared and 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 I don't know where you put the deadline. I mean, I, I think the deadline to have made a decision on where you're going to end up is going to be on May first, unless I misunderstood the information I was given. Because I mean, you think you know, basketball ends in, in March for most teams, April for for a handful. That gives you a, a you know, if you made the final four you got a month. Most, most kids are going to have six to eight weeks after the end of their season to enter the portal and then find a home. Yeah, for me, I, I, when I look at that, you know, uh, I just think it, it, you have these unique situations. Look at Jamie Newman last year. I mean, you know, he had no clue that, you know, JT Daniels was going to win that appeal of his and get eligible. And then, you know, I, I think, it, I can see the merit for definitely putting the the kind of like windows to do it, but I also can, you know, can think, you know, that, that there's certain situations where kids 
just that would be really tough on them. Yeah, I just wonder if they give them the whole month, if they ultimately at some point down the road settle on the whole month of May. Just just some you've got you've got the window of May first to May thirty first, you know, to, to get somewhere. Um, or maybe you have a deal where you where you know you just say, Hey, you've got to let me know by May first whether you're leaving or whether you're staying, which is kind of what some people are proposing that and, and the talk is out there as Rob mentioned right now. But I, I think that tweak has to happen um, in, in the transfer, you know, in the and portal. It, it could be different for basketball and football. Yeah, but I, th- but I think you have to do that because you, you have to let your basketball coaching st- – I mean, you can't have a coaching staff sit there the last week of May and find out they've lost two players and then they're going to turn around and try to get two players in school for June 1st. Or maybe – yeah, or you, you could – I mean, right now, the way things are, you could find out after some school started. I mean, maybe right. you get some kid that doesn't, doesn't like the way – you know, man, these off-season workouts, I didn't sign up for this. I'm, I'm gone. And yeah. as of now, they could do that. Yeah, it's certainly um, – again, I think there's some rules that are going to come into play, what those rules look like. I don't, I don't have any idea. The same way I don't know what the rules are going to look like for the name – uh, image likeness world that, that that's getting into. I mean, the, the whole, who saw the Georgia rule coming where, you know, 70% is going to be kicked into a, into a fund for the university and then dispersed out in some way. I mean, they're catching all kinds of criticism for that. I mean, everybody's going to have their own different, different policies in place yet. Nobody knows what the national policy or parameters of the national policy is going to be from the NCAA or what the conference policies are going to be. I mean, it, it's hard to get a handle on right now, Austin, but if you're a school and you're not working on getting a handle on it, you feel like you're going to get left behind in this deal too. Are you going to find yourself in a, in a challenging situation with a current corporate sponsor or whatever? I mean, if this thing's going to roll out this, you know, July one, everybody's got to have a handle here in the next six weeks, which is going to be a lot of work to be done at all levels. Impossible. Well, well, I think he's got to be a forward thinking, as do all schools. And and here's the thing: to me, they've got to do a good job of conveying it to donors and people that could feasibly, you know, put some of these kids in a position to make some money, you know, and make and get them to understand what's going on. Because a lot of these donors are, you know, are older. And they may not understand like just this new world of college athletics and how kids can can make money uh, legally. And uh, you know, it, that, to me, that's that's the interesting dynamic. And as you said, like you know, you've got corporate sponsors. I mean, I mean, like you know, when this thing goes goes on board, I mean, who's to say that you know, you know, First Horizons, uh, the, the bank of the Vols, but who's to say Regions, which is the bank of the SEC, doesn't come in and and you know get John Fulkerson to be on a billboard somewhere. Now he couldn't be on it in a Tennessee jersey or a Tennessee shirt, but he could certainly be wearing just an orange polo, you know, and, and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you look up your first horizon and you've, you know, you're the official bank of the Vols, but yet Tennessee's marquee basketball players on a billboard for your competitor. And how about, I mean, do you think there's a possibility you could see them cap the numbers? I mean, cause I mean, with what Georgia has done, that's obviously, I mean, every school, every other school in the SEC can come up with, with something better. Like even if, you know, they take 60% and put in a pool or 50% and put in a pool. But I mean, on the recruiting trail, I mean, like what if it was relayed to Ty Simpson right now that, hey, 
pilot's going to give you a million bucks to be in some commercials and, and be on billboards next year. I mean, it, this is a, I mean, this is a can of worms. Oh, it's a huge deal. I mean, it, it's an absolutely huge, it's a huge situation. I mean, that, there needs to be a level playing field, I think, as far as like what, how kids can benefit. And I don't see that coming. I mean, and I'm basing a lot of that on what we saw from the Georgia state legislature, because yeah. I mean, Every, every, every state's going to be different. Yep, every state's going to be different. And then how does the conferences handle that? And, and then how do they handle that at a national level as well? I mean, that's why, that's why Danny White stated and, and noted in the conversation I had with him about how that's the biggest concern moving forward is, is just the opening up that can of worms and what it might turn into. And um, in addition to the transfers, that's going to be the storyline uh, of the summer for sure in college athletics because it affects all sports uh, like the transfer, you know, the, the transfer situation and does it well. I think it's the biggest storyline this century that the NCAA has faced. It's huge. I mean, there, there's there's no doubt about that. And uh, what that looks like for everybody around the country individually, collectively as a conference is is unknown. And, and I don't think anybody's sure what it's going to look like at this point in time. But we know it's going to be a factor in recruiting. Uh, we know schools, Austin, including Tennessee, are already making that pitch in recruiting to recruits out there. Other schools are doing that as well. So it's another layer to the recruiting process. Uh, the recruiting process that's going to get cranked up in, in earnest on June 1 and the mad dash for official visitors to come to campus in, in the month of June is going to be is going to be crazy. How, how do you if you're if you're a Tennessee or any other school? How do you balance that? How many you bring in in June? Because everybody's going to want to take a visit in June. Every kid's going to want to take an official visit in June who's going to be a senior because they haven't been anywhere. So how do you balance that deal? If if you're a coach out there going, all right, I only got 56 of these things. How many do I want to give up in the month of June? And how many do I want to hold? But if I decide to hold those, do I get a chance to even bring those kids in? Or are they going to be off the board by the time you get to you know, September when you might take some visits in season? I would I would really look at hard at you know and kind of almost do a ranking system I like uh, you know if I'm Tennessee and I I like a kid but I really think he's probably you know not realistic but he's willing to take a visit I probably wouldn't waste it I just wouldn't I just think you may need him in the fall you know and and, and then again you run the risk of never getting certain kids to campus because you know they decide to commit in June and school X doesn't want them to take any visits, you know, after they commit. And so, you know, it, it's going to be something that Tennessee's got to get a handle on. And all schools do, but I mean, specifically Tennessee, because they're more in the, Hey, we need to be able to put a product on the field mode more than anything else, but you're going to host visitors. They're going to host several visitors in the month of June. I would say that they'll have in the four weeks that you can visit, I would say 30 official visitors. Whoa. Whew. Wow. You I mean, think that, I, many? that that's over half, that's over half of your, of your available visits. Well, I think it's going to be something like that. I mean, maybe, maybe it, maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's 24, you know, but you think um, between 20 and 30. Yeah, I do. You know, now maybe, maybe some of these kids end up you know, like, like the, like Tennessee takes, you know, Brody Foley like is there any sense in bringing the tight end from Nebraska in in June I just don't see it why like you know I mean I've talked to people over there that you know you know said you know that one would be the most tight ends they would take you know I mean 
I just don't I don't see what the, the the you know why would you waste a an official visit on a kid from Nebraska who probably is not going to come here. I mean, he will pass up the chance to go play in Nebraska or pass up the chance to go to nearby Iowa or or wherever. And 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 you know I know Iowa's not that close, but I mean like you know what I mean like there's a lot of schools between here and Lincoln to you know to to, to go play at. I just. I just would be real selective with the number of official visits I roll in here in June. Like I like, you know, Cam Miller doesn't think he is going to take, it doesn't look like he's going to take officials this summer. He's going to push us back to the fall. I think that's a good thing for Tennessee. The, the anybody, the, the more people you can get to push them back. It's like the Dallin Hayden recruitment. Like you may lose him in, in June to, to Ohio state, you know, but if he makes it out of the month of June without committing, then I think he's going to visit here in the fall. And then I think Tennessee's chances greatly improve. Again, it's about, surviving the month of June you've got to get kids on campus show them what you're about let you let them get a feel for you let them see you and, and interact with you but then in certain ways you've got to survive that month and and hope to get to later you know in the fall where you can show hey look at what we're doing on the field yeah I don't think there's any question that you have to survive yeah, and in it, Tennessee's it, case it's you a different survive. story on I was gonna say on the basketball side, it's a different story, but it's they those coaches like it because those kids get to take an official visit as a junior and another as a senior. So you're in a situation where you could bring in as many guys as you want in June and then get them back on campus, you know, 10, 12 weeks later in, in September, early October. And not only that, you can get a feel for whether or not you want to bring this kid back. Right. And not not only from just a character. In, you know, personal personality, being able to interact with him in June. But after you bring him in on a visit, you're finally, for the first time in almost a year and a half, going to be able to go out on the road and see these kids play in July, which you haven't seen them do live and in person since right after their freshman year. And how much have they changed over the course of that time for, for the better or worse? So it's, it's a good thing for the basketball guys. Yeah, it's a total different world when you have those two official visits that you can take, one your junior year, one your senior year, um, for, for sure. Um, it, it changes that world dramatically. It, regardless, June's going to be interesting. Oh, and right. it, Go ahead. I was just saying one thing to add. I think as of right now, I'm talking to people, I don't think Tennessee's going to have basketball camps in June because there's going to be different guidelines because it's all indoors. And they could have them, but the number I got would – I mean, and this is not official. It was just me talking to somebody. It was like, they think that they might be only be able to bring in like 75 kids. I mean, is that worth it to set up the infrastructure you have to have to run a camp for, you know, when you're normally maybe in a good year for a coach bringing in three, 400 kids for a week? And, you know, at, I don't know what it is these days, $300 a pop, I would guess. I mean, to, you know, to, have, to, 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 to staff the thing for 75 kids, you know, I don't, I don't know how realistic that is. Now, I wouldn't rule out them having some kind of quote-unquote elite camp, maybe one weekend where you are dealing with smaller numbers. But in, as of now, I think Tennessee is leaning towards no camps in basketball. Because the indoor rules will be different than the outdoor yes. rules, obviously, but from, from what football camps could be or baseball camps. That's a, that's a good note there and a good note to close out this edition of the Tuesday podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Visit them online at bluewatercliamatecontrol.com. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.